to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, COVID, crisis management, anything that's relatable to those topics. Speaking of topics, if there is something you'd like us to talk about, please feel free to go to the Voice America webpage. Underneath the graphic, there is a button to send me an email, or if you're watching on YouTube, Leave me a comment. Let me know how I can reach you. And we'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone to talk about the topic you want us to address. If you also want to promote a product or service, you can reach me the same way and we can uh, get some arrangements and things put together for you that way as well. Like to remind everyone, go to, for Voice America people, of course, go to uh, Preparing for the Unexpected on YouTube. You'll see videos coming out there. Today's will be there eventually as well with a bunch of other ones as well. So uh, please check that out, Preparing for the Unexpected. And I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road for sponsoring today's episode and their product, Boast Assessment, which allows you to self-monitor your uh, business continuity management program and focus your resilience, uh, sorry, focus your resources appropriately. Uh, Long-time listeners, you will recall that I mentioned I would be speaking at the BCI Virtual World Conference uh, held uh, in early November. It would have been in Birmingham, UK, which would have been great because I would have been able to see family just south of Birmingham, but unfortunately for another year. And I said I would try and get some of the guests, uh, the speakers at that conference on the show. And you will notice I was able to get one. Uh, the first one, actually, from that conference, you know, uh, there's many more to come, um, but my first one, and I don't even really have to go through a big uh, introduction, because I know you've seen him on the show before, you've heard him, and I'd like to welcome to the show, James Green. James, welcome back again. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me yet again. Very excited to talk about BCI World and the topic uh, that I presented on. Which was um, putting the cyber in organizational resilience, correct? Yes, that is correct. So let's, you know, I'm going to skip the guest introduction part and all, all that. Stuff yes. Because you, you've, you've done that a few times already. If people don't know, they can go check some of the older episodes. <laughs> <laughs> let's dive right in. Yeah, let's dive right in. Uh, Cybersecurity. Yes. What is cybersecurity and what is cyber attacks? You know, we, we do have a global audience. So I know some people will obviously jump and answer that themselves, but there's so many people around the world that don't know what that is. So what is it to you? Yeah. So, you know, disclaimer first, I'm a BC guy, right? And when I dabble in cyber, uh, I get in trouble sometimes. But, you know, I started talking about this, two years ago about where I felt BC and cyber were converging because I saw a lot of overlay. So a lot of people, if we, if we go high level stereotypical, a traditional BC event is the buildings on fire. 
right? And maybe a couple of years ago, a cyber event was, you know, some low-level hacker broke into our system or you, you know, you were watching a video and downloaded some low-level malware and it took your IT department a couple hours to clean it up, right? But look at where we're at right now. Look at what happened in November, December with solar winds, right? You have this cataclysmic shift, I think, in not only awareness of cybersecurity, but the threat level has changed. So for me, you and I instantly are CISOs of our company now. And prior to November, December, we were trying to prevent our employees from clicking on links right? User error, user insider threat, and maybe being a little concerned with like script kitties or low-level hackers. And now you and I are trying to protect our company against nation states. Like how do we even, how does Alex, the CISO of Stone Road Inc. take on China? How does James Green take on Russia? Well, that's what the whole... That's what newscasters are saying, right? This is yes. kind of a, a type of warfare now. Like, the, it, you know, when you think of warfare, you're thinking tanks and airplanes and battleships, but they're saying the new warfare is cyber. Yeah, exactly. Because if I can, uh, as a nation state, control all the data and information, that's that's probably good enough. So I think a lot of people have realized. I started, you know digging into cyber myself personally two years ago because I recognized I really felt this is going to be, it's the fastest growing area of risk management, right? And for me, I saw a lot of overlap. I felt there should be a lot of overlap between BC and cyber. And I was confused why they were so isolated. So uh, in crisis management, right, it doesn't really matter what the crisis is in terms of responding to the media, communicating to your employees, management making decisions, right? Mm-hmm. So again, if it's a burst water pipe or malware, the crisis response at a higher level should be similar. And when I started learning more about ransomware, if our, again, our, our fictitious company gets hit by ransomware, and instantly 50% of our employees' computers are bricked. Well, that's a BC event to me, Mm -hmm. right? All of a sudden, half our employees don't have computers. How are we working? So I started to see a lot of, you know, roadmap of of overlap between BC and cyber. And I I got, I guess, heavily invested in my own time. Um, I'm going to get a degree in cybersecurity and you know, being back in school in my 40s is is amazing and ridiculous, frankly, <laughs> that most of my classmates are closer to my kid's age than mine. Uh, I feel old and out of touch. I'll actually, oh, I have trying to fit in. I put stickers on my laptop. It's out of reach. And that's about as cool as I can get, <laughs> right? Um, the, uh, the Department of Defense in the United States has come out with a cybersecurity standard that they expect and require all vendors by 2026 to be certified 
to that standard, like regardless of what they do. And is that um, vendors uh, of the U.S. government or vendors yeah, vendors? Are- it's 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 vendors of the United States Department of Defense. But I think the the standard, and you and I have talked about standards and regulations before. The standard to me is so innovative because it has two aspects that are equally important. One is policies and procedures, right? Um, that companies have to have, just like we have to have with business continuity. But the other side that's equally as important is practical. Like you have to demonstrate that you don't just have policies and procedures, but that you live them. And I know this is just a standard for Department of Defense contractors, but to me, it's it's a lot like GDPR, where I think it's so revolutionary that it's going to spread, right? It's going to be co-opted. It's going to be adapted by non-military, by non-U.S. government. Um, and so, again, I see that. That's something I want to learn more about, know more about. Uh, I've become a registered practitioner in that that certification. But I, I just see the lines between cyber and B.C., continually to blur. And what we saw in November, December with solar winds, the landscape has changed or that awareness has changed where, you know, you see a lot of people say, oh, a cyber event is not if, but when. And I've even said that from stage, but now I really feel how would our company prevent a nation state that has billions of dollars of getting access if they want to. And I think those are going to, those are going to trip more and more business continuity events. And you also look at reputational risk, mm-hmm. right? A lot of what happened with solar winds was, was fire eye and you have an internet security company not have internet security that could damage their brand permanently. And I think as more and more companies get sophisticated in thinking about business continuity events damaging the long-term brand, well, cyber events do that the same, right? They're very similar. Right. So I think we as business continuity practitioners, we should be a part of these conversations, right? We are experts in crisis management. We understand brand damage and awareness. Does it matter what the trigger point is? I use that expression a lot, triggers for the same things, you know, and too much focus on a trigger, you know, when the, the impact ends up being the same, you lost your facility. Yeah. So what the trigger was, you can't work here. What do you do? Exactly. So, you brought up a lot of interesting points. So now I've got a whole bunch of questions for you. All right. <laughs> one, uh, one point I just wanted to say um, back in uh, 2007, uh, 2006, um, my last full-time role, I was lucky enough to actually work in the security and business continuity department. Okay. So I sat in business continuity, was in run, one row, and right beside me were the security guys. So I was very lucky to hear and see what they deal with. Um, yeah. Now, that leads me to another point. What I also noticed is that their industry had their own governing bodies, Mm-hmm. their own methodologies, uh, their own responses, you know, uh, certifications, 
you know, business continuity, we've got ours. Yes. So how do you bring those together? Because, you know, they, mm. what they had, they didn't really call it a crisis management. I forget what the actual title of uh, my group called it. You know, if it was a business continuity uh, or disaster or something major for IT, it was the, the business Same. continuity framework. But if yeah. it was cyber, it was a different kind of a framework. So how do you bring those together? So I think the first thing you do is delineate between tactical response and strategic response, right? So if we have a failure in our data center because server is down, I am no more qualified to troubleshoot and fix that than I am if we have a burst water pipe right? And we need to do an assessment on air quality. So I think business continuity professionals are very comfortable working with facilities and environmental health and safety. And we need to have that same comfort in understanding that that tactical response is not and should not be ours. But the strategic response, to me, that's all crisis management. And I think what a lot of organizations saw in 2020 at the management level, that having a cybersecurity incident response team and having a crisis management team for business continuity and having a disaster recovery team and having a vendor risk management portal and enterprise risk management portal team and steering committee, how does management sit and have time to sit on seven, eight different committees for risk? And how do you, what do you do when an, an area shifts? So like we talked about, if we're dealing with ransomware that's hit our servers and has also hit our computers, or if you look at, you know, universal, uh, what was the, the term here? I'm going to look off, off screen. Um, universal health systems, one of the largest hospital systems in the United States, right? They got hit by ransomware so bad in September that not only were all their corporate systems down, but at their hospitals, they were doing patient intake with pen and paper. So now you have a DR issue, you have a cyber issue, you have potential life safety issue because I can't access your charts. And from a business continuity standpoint, you're damaging the brand significantly. And so to me, that needs to be managed by crisis management at a strategic level, that all the tactical responses are run by teams. But management, if again, you and I are at the sea level of that hospital system, we're looking at how do we fix this? How do we manage through this? And I think that's really, you know, where cyber and business continuity should work together. It's not competing, it's not taking resources from each other but it's, it's sharing. And, um, you know, we can talk about more in the next segment. That's, I think, where the operational resilience standard from the Bank of England is going to have some interesting wrinkles and some unintended consequences uh, in our profession. Yeah, I, I agree with you, you know, bringing everyone to the table and then the situation can, de- uh, the way I see it, the situation itself can determine who's going to be the major uh, a focal point, the, not necessarily the crisis leader, but the one who's getting all the information, the one who's coordinating the response. Everyone's in the room, facilities, health and safety, finance guys, marketing, sales, whoever, they're all in the room, but it's a cyber attack. So the IT guy takes the lead, you know, 
And if marketing doesn't need to be involved, marketing, you know, just keep me in the loop. That's all. And I can walk away, you know, um, but the right person all of a sudden is in charge of what's going on, you know, and you can deal with it on that level rather than, oh, we have a, uh, you know, if we have a cyber crime, it's these 10 people. We have a facilities, oh, it's these different 10 people and no one ends up talking. Exactly. And as you know, I'm a, I'm a big hockey fan, right? <laughs> Ice hockey fan. So analogy I think of is Italy, right? the <laughs> go lightning. Uh, the goal is for the team to win, but we don't switch the goalie and the forward, right? We don't say, okay, well, Alex, you were in the net the first period. So you'll be left wing second period. They're totally different positions. They're totally different skill sets, just like an information security expert is completely different skill set than a business continuity expert, right? But we're still all on the same team. Right. And on that, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking today with James Green, who spoke at the BCI Virtual World Conference uh, 2020 in November. And we're talking today about putting the cyber in organizational resilience. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back. 
We are talking with James Green today and his presentation from the BCI Virtual World Conference, Putting the Cyber in Organization Resilience. James, in the first segment, uh, you mentioned uh, a couple of uh, interesting points. Um, one I just want to touch on because uh, uh, from my own experience, you mentioned uh, people using pen and paper. Yes. And I know I kind of told you in the break, but uh, I thought it'd be interesting for everyone else listening that uh, I was in a restaurant uh, a while back when the power went out. So all the restaurants depend on uh, systems to you know print bills and things like that, close out tills, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, nobody knew what to do with Visa cards or you know Mastercards and American Express. And I'm from the old hospitality industry, you know, in a pre previous life when I was younger. And I asked the manager if they had an old ChargeX machine, you know, and that's what Visa was before you know it came out. Yes. <laughs> they, you know, they, they said, well, there is this machine. They pulled it out. And I actually had to show the bartenders and the serving staff how to put the cards in, how they filled out these slips. You ran this machine over the card, you know, and get an imprint and what needed to fill out. That was their way of making sure they still got, uh, you know, the bills out and people paid their bills. So it was an interesting way. Uh, you got me thinking about that when you mentioned that that was business continuity for them. Exactly. And that's a great example, Alex, because I was thinking while you were telling that story, you know, a few years ago, the restaurant chain PF Chang's got hit by a data breach and they pulled their point of sale um, system offline and they distributed, you know, those old card swipe machines to all of their restaurants, but they first had to procure them. Right. So you had a BC to me again, you had a data breach, which is a cyber incident. But then it was up to business continuity to say, okay, we need those card, those old school card swipe and the, uh, the carbon, the carbon paper. They had to procure that for all the restaurants. That's BC. That's classic BC, right? What tools do we need for manual workaround while our cyber team is also dealing with a data breach? Yeah, it was an interesting experience and us getting black carbon all over our fingers. Exactly. <laughs> Now, I, I'm going to ask you the proverbial question because I know lots of people are thinking of it and you're probably dreading it and you've probably been asked it a hundred times. So who owns cybersecurity or who should own it? Where would it reside? Uh, so that's a two-part question to me. So the first part is, is similar to who owns risk management. And the answer I always say is management owns risk. And this is where a lot of companies get into trouble is – Alex thinks that he's responsible as the business continuity program manager to mitigate all risk, but Alex has minimal resources, right? And that's a lose. That's how we lose is we think we're responsible for mitigating risk. No, management is responsible for mitigating or accepting risk. And that's kind of a philosophy that I use personally and that I use with my clients. My goal is to understand the risk, bring it to management's attention. And then if they want to ignore it, transfer it, mitigate it, whatever classic terms you want to use, then it's on them, mm -hmm. right? Like I always felt my goal was if I call the CEO at three in the morning, about something that happened, it's on me if the CEO says, oh, I never knew that X could happen. But if they knew about it and they're like, oh, we didn't do anything, then it's on them. 
So I think the first thing is we need to get to that understanding, just like it's not fair for a business continuity manager to be expected to mitigate all BC risk. You have an information security department with limited budget. How are they supposed to mitigate um, you know, all information security risk? So that's a long way around to get to the second part of your question, where should it sit? You know, I think a lot of companies now that the CISO information security reports to IT, but we're starting to see some changes on that as information security problems, malware, ransomware, data breaches happen more and more and more. I think you're going to see a lot of companies roll that up where information security reports directly to the CEO. Um, but I'd secretly love to get in a lab and I'd like to see it report up to a true chief risk officer. Because again, we talked about enterprises wanting to respond to risk at the enterprise level, but then why don't they manage and mitigate risk at the enterprise level, regardless of where the risk comes from? Would that make it easier for uh, information security groups and business continuity groups to actually uh, work together closer, you know, that strategic uh, and tactical approach you mentioned in segment one, if they were in a, a single area like risk, you know, a CR a chief risk officer area, would that not make it easier for them to consolidate or, or I shouldn't say consolidate, but uh, work, work together, you know, risk identified on this side, we've identified these risks. How does it in fact affect you? You know, we've over here, we've done the same thing. Does that do anything for you? Does it bring them closer? I think so. It, it allows for an exchange of information. And then if you and I are teammates, we're not competing for resources and you don't get into, well, uh, you know, at the site level is access control. Is that part of business continuity? If there's an event, is that part of information security? Is that part of physical security? Where does that go? It's just part of risk. Um, and I'd like to see more companies use that philosophy of we have all kinds of risk they can affect the company at an enterprise level. Maybe it should roll up into the same area. To, and also to make sure, like you said, not only sharing information, but consistent methodologies. Um, I worked with a client earlier this year, very large. Their enterprise risk management department and their business continuity department were so many levels down and away from each other that they couldn't even share risk assessments because their taxonomy and philosophy was completely different. So then they ended up duplicating a lot of work. They weren't even aware of it at the time that ERM was doing some risk assessments at the facility level. Business continuity was doing some risk assessments at the facility level. Why are we doing that work twice? Yeah. So. yeah. Well, let's move on to one of the key points of your presentation at BCI Virtual World, and that is operational resilience. Yes. Uh, so my first question is, what is operational resilience? I have a bunch of notes because I always get in trouble <laughs> when I speak out of turn. So for purposes of today, we're going to talk about the Bank of England's operational resilience standard because there's a lot of what we can feel is operational resilience. I want to talk about just this proposed standard. This is going to be big. Um, 
And you know it's going to be big because the Bank of England, this regulatory body, is giving companies four years to get in compliance. So that should scare everybody right there that you've got four years to get into compliance. And the reason a lot of people are talking about this is twofold. One, right now, even though it just applies to financial institutions that have, you know, customers in the UK, what happened with GDPR? That was supposed to just apply to European wholly owned self-contained things. And now everybody's affected by GDPR and GDPR inspired a lot of other standards. So the California Consumer Protection Act that went live in 2020 modeled on GDPR. You're going to see other things modeled on GDPR. And I think we're going to see a lot of resilience standards modeled on this Bank of England um, resilience standard. And here's where I've got some stuff I've got to read. So I apologize to everyone. <laughs> but uh, there's some things in the resilience standard that we all know about are going to be familiar. And there's some things we don't know. So this is kind of my, uh, if you and I are having a couple of drinks, watching a game, I wrote down like, here's where I think this standard is at a very high level. Right? So some of these are obvious to business continuity professionals. You have to map your business processes. You have to gather your SOPs for your processes. We, we do that all day long. Right? SOPs is for standards. Excuse me. Uh, excuse the jargon. You have to gather your standard operating procedures of your external processes. A lot of, we're all very familiar with this. If you do BIAs, if you write recovery plans, these are all similar. You have to test and exercise your plans. You have to have management oversight of your plans. Like, okay, so what's the, What's the big deal? Why, why do we have four years for this? But then there's this part in there that's causing people heartache. And so when you look at those critical processes, right, at what point does a disruption of that process affect external groups? And at what point does it pose a risk? So the effect is obvious. If, our, if you and I own a bank and a bank branch burns down, that affects our customers. Pretty straightforward. But at what point does the disruption pose a risk? So a potential threat. And they are calling that an impact tolerance. And they expect you to measure and quantify that impact tolerance. And that's where a lot of people are like, well, that is kind of new, right? Because now, they've is also... That, is that the, the tolerance to the bank or the tolerance to the customer? It's a tolerance to the customer. Oh, okay. And they've also, page two, they have proposed, um, there are all these things that those impact tolerances have to identify. So is there harm to consumers? Is there harm to market integrity? So think about that as a bank. Could you have a BC issue that affects the integrity of the entire financial system? And you have to measure that. 
Where would you even start with that? Yeah. I don't know. Where That's to- why they're giving you four years, <laughs> right? Uh, you have to look at measuring and identifying the safety and soundness of your risk and the financial stability of your organization. So a lot of those are very similar to what we do, but some of those to me, where is the risk tolerance that it affects the consumer that it could potentially damage market integrity. Oh, by the way, document all of that and prove that not only have you documented that risk, but that you've mitigated that risk. Then you'll be considered operationally resilient according to the standard. Couldn't that, the the impacts to a customer could, well, vary wildly. Correct. You You know, a business owner who's got a few million dollars in the bank Okay, the bank, the branch burned down. Oh, no big deal for me. You know, it's not a big impact. But if I'm a small mom and pom shop, or self-employed, you know, or a single parent, you know, the loss of that branch, what it's do I catastrophic? Do? Yeah, yeah. So how are you going to, or how how are they, uh, or I, I know there isn't an answer yet for that, but any suggestions on how you? try to even approach that because those two scenarios are so far apart. Correct. And I think that's why organizations are going to get four years to implement this because uh, in a lot of respects, this is very similar to me. Uh, Reminds me of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act that was passed in the United States in 2001 in response to uh, Enron uh, and WorldCom those companies collapsing due to, you know, bogus financials. And when the Sarbanes-Oxley Act first was, uh, I guess, went live, nobody really knew, okay, we know the end result is the CEO and the CFO have to literally put their signature on the financial statements. What leads up to that to give that comfort level? And to your point, if we're measuring harm to consumers – right? Or at what point does the disruption pose a risk? It's a huge difference. Like you said, a mom and pop versus a chain. And how are, how are companies going to thread that needle and quantify it? It's not just going to be, yes, we've mitigated the risk. How specifically what, and how did you mitigate that risk? down. And I think this is a whole, uh, there's a lot of questions here that we as business continuity professionals have never had to answer, which is really scary, right? But the exciting thing is, this is a mandate from a regulatory body, which means companies are going to have to fund and have to provide resources so you and I can get these answers. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I'm sure something like that will end up being a future show because that that will be really interesting to talk about. Yeah. On that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking once again with James Green and his presentation at BCI World, uh, Virtual World, sorry, 2020, uh, Putting the Cyber in Organizational Resilience. We'll be right back.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Join hosts Navanav every week for Good Morning Canada. Our home is Canada, but our message and reach is boldly global. Our focus is on the alternative perspective, the hidden dimension, and the expansive horizon. Ideas are designed to be challenged, perceptions shattered, and information balanced. We invite you to visualize the converse viewpoint, dare to be inquiring, but always promise an hour of lively fun. Listen worldwide at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back. We are talking with James Green and his presentation from BCI Virtual World 2020, Putting the Cyber in Operational Resilience. James, so operational resilience. Uh, what kind of factors make up operational uh, resilience? You know, internal, I'm assuming internal and external. There's got to be both. Yes. Uh, well, first of all, anyone who says they have the answers to this, I think, you know, you should look at them with some skepticism, <laughs> right? Honestly, because there's a lot of the resilience to me means something different than it to you than to half of our audience. Um, so, there's a lot of different things there, but for me, you know, the James Green personal definition is resilience allows your organization to survive the next bump in the night, whatever it is. So um, a lot of times we are very scenario focused or we very much look at what happened in the past, but I think what 2020 showed us that there are things coming up that none of us are thinking about and an organization that resilient is going to manage through that, whatever the bump in the night is. So to me, that is, that is resilient. So for an organization, can you survive almost anything unexpected, right? Then to me, you're resilient. And be better for it afterwards too. better positioned for the next bump in the night. Correct. Absolutely. Did you learn, you know, we talk about after action reviews, 
lessons learned, uh, if you work in government, hot wash. But are you documenting what happened? Or like you said, are you using it to make you smarter and more resilient going forward? Yeah. Uh, having worked at a lot of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, project management as well, I know lessons learned uh, gets done after a two, three-year project. Yeah. And all it is, it's a documentation you know, uh, exercise. And uh, a lot of people just end up pointing fingers at each other. Oh, well, we had this issue because of this, you know, your fault. But nothing ever happens. Nothing changes. You know, so you know, lessons learned, if you're not actually putting action to them, you know, something changes, you know, a process, a, a way of thinking, a action, you know, whatever, something has to change for it to actually be learned. Yeah. And I think we're good as people at doing that, right? Hopefully all of us are smarter now than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. We take what we've learned and we apply it to our life. And that's where wisdom comes from. But to your point, a lot of organizations don't do that. It's like they're still 14 years old and just making the same mistakes uh, over and over and over again. So yeah, the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same correct. thing over and over again and expecting different results. Exactly. Yeah. So what, what are some of the, those are some of the uh, internal um, things. What, what are some external factors we should consider with organizational resilience? Uh, I think, you know, a lot of organizations prior, and I keep bringing up 2020, so I apologize, but a yeah, lot of organizations, time, right? so. when they looked at external factors, if they did, looked at financial and regulatory. And what did 2020 show us wildfires, civil unrest, pandemic, what did that factor into financial or regulatory, right? Really neither for a lot of organizations. So for me, looking external, looking at everything, right? I think it's interesting, like I said, that Bank of England standard puts emphasis on the effect on the consumer. Where do they feel a pain point? So for your business, um, are you, you know, a lot of companies in enterprise risk, okay, what is the risk of regulatory change? What happens if the markets go up and down? But what happens if consumers change? What happens mm -hmm. if there is a pandemic and now uh, there's this term contactless delivery of food? And if I would have said that to you a year and a half ago, you would have been like, what is... I don't even know <laughs> what that I mean. Why would I have someone leave food at my door and never see them? Or why would my restaurant deliver and I'd never go in? That is an external uh, view of resilience. We've seen uh, across the world, a lot of restaurants go out of business and the rest hang on because they figured out how do I get what was classically served in my store <laughs> into your house. Uh, and we've seen it with, with movies as well. Warner Brothers has already said every movie release in 2021 will be digital because what if there's no more movie theaters? That's yeah. resilient. That's the, the studios realizing we make billions of dollars worth of product and the traditional delivery to our customers, a movie theater physically didn't happen in 2020 
might not happen in uh, 2021 for quite a while. So how can we adjust, right? So you're seeing companies look at those external factors, maybe, you know, the consumer taste have changed or um, a lot of companies are realizing that having diversity and inclusion program is not just a check the box function or not just to keep your employees happy. Your customers are requiring changes in how you are as a corporate citizen, which again affects your brand as we've talked about, which can become a business continuity issue. So it's, it's interesting. The points that you brought up <clears throat> lessons learned and looking at what uh, impacts our customers a lot of that, um, for lack of a better term, seems to be looking backwards. Yes. But I, I am also hearing, <clears throat> losing my voice here, I'm also hearing that um, with organizational resilience, you know, when you're looking at the finances and, you know, um, you mentioned the changes that 2020 has brought, if you want proper organizational resilience, you're not just looking at what's happening now and what's happened in the past, but you've also got to, you know, uh, look forward, you know, for potential changes and things that are going to uh, occur and impact your business and operations. Yeah. And how, how quickly can you identify things that are changing? So as they go from the future to now, are you paying attention and making changes right now? Right. I, I spoke to a large retail chain in March of 2020, and they were telling me all about their pandemic plans and their pandemic response and how they had everyone in corporate working from home. And so we asked them about at the retail level and they chided us and said, do you do you not even know what we do? We would never, ever, ever close our stores. And less than two weeks later, they closed all their stores in North America. So part of looking forward is also not also trying to predict the future, which is a nuanced task. But as new data comes in, are you willing to adjust your risk management strategies? Are you seeing that your risks are changing in real time and acting on that? So sometimes it's not just the future, but it's, yeah. did we get data this morning? that, hey, here's new data. This is changing our, our risk model. We need to act on it. So it's kind of like taking some of your lessons learned, but doing it lessons learned as you go along, not waiting yeah. for some sort of an end state to, to have a look back. It's, this is what we learned today. Do yeah. we change our course? Well, and again, if we, if we look at COVID-19, you had some organizations who recognized hey, we could go to lockdown. And they proactively started to send people home and had time to manage that process. And there were some organizations who waited until there was a government order and now we're scrambling the next day, right? So some organizations were better at taking, here's a potential risk and the likelihood of this risk is increasing. So let's start to make sure our just, do you have a laptop? Do you have VPN? As opposed to some organizations where overnight you had to figure that out for thousands of people. Yeah. So, I, I know a couple of friends who went through that. They, for a couple of days, they stayed at home. They were at home. Yeah. And they had nothing to do. And did nothing. You know, because 
they didn't have the equipment or the resources. And eventually, luckily, things were shipped to them and they could yeah. carry on. Um, but still, the company, you know, all those people that couldn't, the company lost productivity yeah. for a few days. And we see that with, you know, Alex, I'm sure you see that. We see that with a lot of natural disasters too. Wildfires, slow moving, coming in. Some organizations shut down their facilities and move stuff around before they're required to. And some wait right up until the point where there's a government mandate. And now you're, you're pressed for time, mm-hmm. right? What situation would you rather be in? Would you rather do a controlled shutdown and have three or four days? Or would you rather have an hour and a half? So, yeah, <laughs> but that's part of seeing the future is looking at things that are coming, not just, you know, five, 10 years from now, but sometimes it's simple as, you know, are you, are you tied into your regional emergency management system? Are you paying attention to what's happening with your customers, with the market today, yesterday, the last 24 hours? Or even a competitor. Did you see what so-and-so did? That's not going to happen to us, right? Yeah. Or, you know, is your competitor doing something that maybe you should be doing as well? So not just a warning, but again, going back to, you know, you and I own a pizza place and there's another pizza place, uh, you know, okay, what is this contactless delivery? Why are they putting a pizza in the back of the customer's car? Is that something we like would consumers, you know, let's study that. Let's look at that. Yeah. We only have uh, less than four minutes, believe it or not. Time just flies. It does. Uh, Any comments on how do we test our organizational resilience? Yeah, so I think it has to be more than business continuity tests and exercise. And I think management has appetite for this more so than ever before, right? Because if you and I would have proposed a business continuity tabletop exercise in 2019 and we said, hey, you're going to have a wildfire and civil unrest during the pandemic. Management would walk out of the room because that's ridiculous. But resilience, what have we seen the last 12 months? You have companies dealing with a pandemic and then also hit with ransomware. And that's, that's again, goes back to what we've, we've spoken about, about cybersecurity, about the prevalence of these issues that are business continuity issues. So for me, resilience is, can you handle more than one thing at a time? Yeah. And I think in two years ago, that would have been unrealistic to even talk about, but ransomware skyrocketed in 2020. There's no end in sight. Uh, You know, people are paying it because it's still around, but what happens when you have ransomware and a fire, when you have ransomware and a hurricane, when you have ransomware and a pandemic? So I think our exercises need to stress the organization a little bit more because we're in this different reality. So can we handle multiple things, not just an interject, right? But can we really handle multiple things? Yeah, I, I think, you know, years ago when we used to put more than one scenario on the table, you know, uh, doing tests or exercises, you know, your point, people get up and walk out of the room, you know, we were giving ourselves a reputation of, oh, you know, you're just dreaming up this crap, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's never going to happen. Well, who's got the, you know, I don't want to say this, mean it this way, but who's got the last laugh? You know, yeah. you do have more than one situation right now. Well, and now organizations are seeing this is realistic. Yeah. 
Yep. So. So we've got a minute and a half left. Any final thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, I just, I want people to think about the word resilient and resilience. It's not just a marketing term or buzzword. And I know a lot of companies have grabbed on, but it really is to me, can you survive that next bump in the night? Can you survive uh, an incident, whether it's, you know, personally, whether it's your family or whether it's the organization you support? Because we're, I think we're going to continue to see you know, tumultuous situations, unexpected things we haven't thought of before, um, and and the organizations that can manage through that are going to be the ones that succeed and and grow in you know in their respective market. And on that note, we've come to the end of another show. James, thanks again for your time and expertise. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, and you'll probably be on again. I'm I, I'm sure of it. <laughs> You know, it's been what, four or five times now, so I, I know. I think so, yeah. Seven, so. <laughs> so everyone listening and watching, thanks for tuning in. And uh, in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.